Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview author Amos Kepler on his world travels, as well as art, writing, politics, and the climate crisis, among many other things. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So you're coming uh, live on this podcast. Um, you're in Norway right now. You're uh, born and raised in Norway. And is that where you spent the most of your life? Uh, no, I was born and raised here, but uh, my almost my entire adult uh, life I have spent uh, abroad. Uh, I didn't used to have an accent before. Uh, but I haven't been uh, abroad for five years. So now my accent, my good accent is ruined, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, what, what languages do you know? So you're, you're pretty well traveled. You've been all over. Uh, do you know a lot of different languages other than uh, English, of course? Uh, German, uh, Spanish. I learned Spanish and Portuguese when I traveled to South America uh, 20 years ago. Most of that is forgotten, but... Uh, I can uh, understand German very well, quite well. Where did you get your education? Uh, on the street. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get got it at school. Really, it was uh, my school. Yes, was a beautiful disaster. You know, it. I didn't uh, manage to do anything there. I was at odds with the teachers and and at the, on the entire system or that already. So. Uh, I learned English, for instance, after I uh, quit school, mostly. I, I did get a basic, the basics at school. I didn't do that, but uh, I started learning in earnest after I quit school. So you never went um, to like higher education, college, or anything like that? You kind of got the basics, and then you just kind of moved on with your life? That's, that's, that's uh, accurate, yes. I... Uh, uh, I started learning uh, everything after I quit school. Really. Uh, I, st- I worked on my books. Uh, instead of doing homework, <laughs> uh, late at night, I wrote uh, on my books instead. So talk, talk to me. I... Yeah, talk to me about your routine. Um, you're, it's middle of the night there uh, in Norway. What time is it there right now? Uh, three o'clock. Okay, so you're you're a night twenty five. You've always you've always liked the evenings to kind of think and do your work and do your writing. Have you always been like that? 
Oh yes, uh, always. I can remember far back, uh, as far back as I can remember, really. I, I lo loved the night, uh, even as a young child, as a three or four year old, actually. <laughs> so, so it's uh, my uh, my preferences. The night is very uh, distinct. You're a, you're a man of darkness, a man of mystery, a man of the night, are you? Oh yes, pretty pretty much. <laughs> what do you what do you do during the day? Uh, do you sleep most of the day since you stay up so late? Usually, I, 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 I used to say that I am on Las Vegas time, really, because I uh, usually wake up when I don't have to do anything during the day. Yeah. I wake up at five o'clock in the afternoon, usually. So and it would be like I was uh, woke up in, at eight o'clock in Las Vegas, which I did. Does Norway have the beautiful, like, northern lights? Do they have the really long days during the summer and the really long nights during the winter? Yes, absolutely. It's dark most of the winter, uh, very uh, dark even during the day. The daylight is six hours here uh, in December. Uh, so, yes. And, uh, and uh, the night. Is uh, hardly uh, non-existent during the summer. <laughs> the, uh, the Norway, I think they have a really rich tradition for like winter sports, skiing, slalom. I don't know all that kind of stuff. Uh, oh yes. Are you are you into the winter sports? Are you uh, no? Into, no, I, I've never been uh, been that really. I uh, my preferences have always been uh, different uh, in that respect as well as well. So you kind of you're kind of self-taught, um, you know. You kind of learn through experience and doing things and learning on your own. I think a, the majority of my learning in my life, especially about philosophy, because that's what I enjoy uh, reading about and studying post uh, college and stuff. Um, but what do you think generally uh, about the education system? I've talked to a lot of people about education, people in higher education, and you know, I think most people have been through the educational system. I always kind of frame it this way, you know, I think education is about training for obedience, training for conformity, um, you know, training people to maybe do a job and fit into a system. Uh, and, you know, so at the end of your uh, education, you can kind of just be a productive member of society or be, you know, a tool of production, you know, in this capitalist society, you can kind of just fit in seamlessly. Uh, but what I think education should be uh, about is creating independent thinkers, creative thinkers, hopefully people that challenge the establishment, challenge the way things are, especially in the sciences, you know, like Galileo, um, you know, Copernicus, uh, Kepler was another scientist, you know, these famous thinkers, um, you know, they push the envelope of, uh, you know, what is known, what can be known, and, you know, kind of push our understanding of the universe farther and farther. So I think um, some of the most well-known people of all history uh, are people that challenge and people that ask difficult questions and think creatively, think independently. Um, but I'm not so sure that that's what the educational system is about. I think it's about, again, kind of conformity, teach to test, standardization, itemization, all that kind of stuff. So what do you think about the educational system? Obviously, you had some issues with it when you were growing up. Yes, in short, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> nice.
that I, as I said, uh, I started learning in earnest. Uh, if, uh, in my opinion, uh, we are, if we, we, if there is a reason we are here at all, it is to learn, right? Yeah. And we don't learn in school. We are force-fed uh, information. So, so I, I hardly, I, I did, I. Um, disliked it uh, with a vengeance really it was uh, my life started the day I worked out yeah that's uh, awesome that's a great yes, quote and my life started and the day I walked in. out yeah I worked out uh, I could have done uh, university but I, I chose not to and I never regret it at all uh, I learned uh, writing by myself. I learned uh, playing um, music by myself. I learned photography uh, by myself. I, every, in short, I learned everything uh, without uh, any kind of uh, good teaching. What do you think so, the educational system should be about? How should it be structured? Or maybe lack of structure would be the best way to do it. Absolutely. Uh, lack of structure it should be... I favor a personal teacher, really. Um, and uh, uh, that person should teach people to think uh, critical. That's the main thing. Uh, the subjects are less important than that. The uh, critical thinking should be uh, half of the uh, week in a given school system. But especially today, when there is such a powerful need for it. <laughs> uh, people are so brainwashed, so propagandized that they uh, hardly have their own opinion about anything. You can see that uh, in both uh, the Ukraine issue and uh, and Palestine issue. No question. Uh, and, yeah, no. and thousands of others. I'm a big fan of Noam Chomsky, his uh, book, Manufacturing Consent. Um, I have a lot of other questions. Maybe we can get more in, uh, deeply into the Ukraine and the Israel-Palestine conflict. But there's an obvious and clear agenda. Um, the media has us, um, you know, favor Israel. They're our ally, so you know they want us to um, sympathize with the Israelis. They want to, um, you know, I, I guess kind of um, make maybe Palestinians out to be. Um, maybe more barbarous, uh, terrorists, uncivilized, uh, yada, yada, yada. They are maybe what Chomsky would call unworthy victims. Of course, they're victimized. Um, there was a lot of innocent people um, that were killed in the terrorist attacks in Israel, uh, but then Israel, which uh, escalated violence, killing many more people, and who knows how many more uh, will be dying here in the next weeks, months, years. Um, it's a one-sided conflict. Israel has, uh, has been, you know, perpetrating much more violence uh, against the Palestinians, although most of the time Palestinian violence is uh, front-page news because, uh, we're again, the media kind of wants us to sympathize with the Israelis and, um, you know, the victims there. But uh, the Israeli... Uh, is, is kind of how um, Chomsky would frame it. Israel, they're the worthy victims. Um, you know, the Palestinians are the 
uh, unworthy victims, and the same goes for uh, Ukraine. We're supposed to sympathize with the Ukrainians. Russia is our enemy. The Ukrainians are worthy victims here. They're useful um, to U.S. power interests. So there's a certain slant. There is an agenda for sure. Whatever you think about the conflicts going on right now in the world, there is a definite bias that the United States, you know, mainstream media and the ruling class wants us to side with Israel and our allies, who I think we've given um, $260 billion to uh, since um, uh, World War II ended. Uh, we essentially, you know, um, provide them the political support, economic support, uh, military support for them to colonize uh, Palestine um, without uh, the U.S. support. Um, Israel would cease to exist if Israel was the 51st state. Um, it would receive more funding than any other state. It would be number one in federal funding in the United States. Um, essentially what Israel is is a U.S. military outpost, which allows the United States to control the world's oil uh, reserves and have a stronghold in the Middle East. Um, and uh, again, without U.S. military support, political support, economic support, ideological support, uh, it would collapse. So there's, again, a clear slant in the media. Uh, we're supposed to um, you know, identify with the Ukrainians and support their conflict and war against Russia, which is certainly a proxy war between the U.S. and America, which could end in nuclear war if we aren't uh, more careful. And again, a pro-Israel um, agenda in the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, and it's really clear for me to see, you know, but I've done a lot of reading on it, and I've not tried, I've tried to avoid as much mainstream news coverage as possible because there's a clear slant. Um, there's a clear filtering system. They set the tone. Uh, the media sets the agenda in these types of stories. They handpick the experts, and sometimes they do some historical engineering to try to get you to side with whatever agenda uh, they're trying to propagandize you about. Now the propaganda is an issue in itself, of course. Uh, that's almost uh, just as bad as the actual killing of uh, innocent people all the time, uh, right? Oh, and, then, and there is a the domestic issue too, right? But by pouring uh, money and resources into war, uh, they, they say there aren't money for, uh, for education, for health care, for uh, environmental issues, uh, you name it, right? Yeah. So they, uh, so they just, uh, I read somewhere that uh, the United States is the most uh, militarized uh, country in the world, uh, except perhaps for Israel, no? No, but uh, everything is funneled into the uh, military industrial complex, right? Right, and uh, that's a true thing. There is a gigantic uh, military complex. Uh, uh, Eisenhower warned about it in his farewell uh, speech, yep. uh, and he was very prophetic. He, he knew that's uh, extremely, and uh, Norway and, uh, and NATO too. They, they are uh, they are dancing at the U.S. tune. Yeah, NATO is essentially a U.S.-led organization. Uh, it allows the U.S. to bypass the United Nations and the Security uh, Council. Uh, NATO essentially, um, you know, is controlled by U.S. brass in Washington. 
Um, you know, it's continuing, continuing its expansion uh, right up to the Russian border. Um, there was promises that would not continue to expand after the Soviet Union dissolved. Of course, those were all, um, you know, fake promises. Uh, it continues to expand up until this day. Um, it, Ukraine has always been that red line, um, you know, that was not to uh, join NATO. But, you know, there's been invitations from U.S. presidents. Uh, uh, you know, Ukraine continues to um, you know, more and more Europeanize, you know, and, and maybe, uh, I think it applied to get into the European Union. So, um, yeah, I mean, Russia is essentially now surrounded by NATO and U.S. allies, um, and in clear, uh, you know, in clear, uh, position for nuclear missiles, you know, on, onto the, to the Russian mainland. So I think, um, you know, the war in Ukraine is a, is a proxy war, but I think it was a provocation um, to Russia. And uh, I've made these um, uh, comparisons too, but like a lot of times you'll hear stories here in the United States where China, you know, flies a jet over a U.S. destroyer or China um, sails a, whatever, a ship, you know, it goes past a, a you know, a U.S. Navy ship. And they're like, oh, look at this provocation by China. And you're like, why is, uh, why is a Navy, U.S. Navy boat, um, you know, a few miles off the Chinese mainland and thousands of miles from a U.S. coast? So, you know, who's provocating here? So I think uh, the same goes for, you know, U.S. foreign policy with China and Russia and uh, certainly um, Israel. You know, a lot is was talked about um, prior to. Uh, or not, nothing was talked about prior to the um, Hamas attack, but um, from what I, terrorist attack, uh, again, I don't condone that, but um, there was a lot of uh, violence. I mean, every single day there's violence going on in, in Gaza and, and Palestine. Um, you know, the Israeli military and police forces, security forces, you know, children throwing rocks, they get locked up, beat up, sometimes even killed. Um, you know, they're, I mean, Israel, or I'm sorry, Palestine is a very poor country. It's not even a country. It's not even recognized by, um, you know, a lot of uh, the countries around the world, certainly not the U.S. allies and European allies, because they are siding with Israel, at least politically. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just not a fair fight uh, at all. Uh, you know, Israel has a really strong and formidable army, obviously capable of vast amounts of violence and they continue to perpetrate that violence against the for, for the most part vulnerable uh, Palestinian people who are mostly non-combatants who are being killed tortured essentially I've heard comparisons concentration camps uh, the Gaza Strip and maybe Gaza uh, two point some million people probably the l world's largest open air prison absolutely uh, and Israel is the fourth uh, biggest military power so, but I want, maybe we can get back into it. Um, you know, maybe we can get back to, into some more Russian and Ukraine stuff. But I did want to talk about um, generally critical uh, thinking. States, uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit of critical thinking. How about you personally? How were you able to kind of develop your critical thinking skills, uh, your world view? How are you able to see, you know, the propaganda and call it out and, and, and know it and when you see it? Um, it's taken me, you know, a lot of time and reading a lot of stuff. 
um, to, to kind of get there. And I think, again, most of it on my own, you know, not, not part of the doctrinal system, but what I did after school, you know, again, when I walked out was the day my life began. I kind of agree with you, uh, there, uh, and Chomsky always talks about, you know, the most, um, indoctrinated people are usually those with the highest levels of education. And that's not surprising because you're in the, you're in the system for decades. Um, but, uh, back to you. Yeah. How do you, how, do, who's your influences? Who, who uh, maybe um, influenced you or taught you about your worldview and critical thinking skills, or did you kind of read a little bit about uh, of everything? How did you develop such a such a worldview uh, and such an ability to think critically? I learned myself. That, I taught myself that too. Uh, I guess uh, slowly. Uh, I wasn't always this uh, independent. Uh, free thinker that I am now, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I started doing. I told myself when I was twenty, the day I was twenty, that I uh, wanted to change my life, and it took me uh, three, four, five years, but I did it. And everything else uh, came with that, if you understand, if you like. So. Um, it's a, it's a slow process, slow awakening, right? Yeah. He who isn't uh, busy di- uh, being born is busy dying, Bob Dylan. So, um, yeah, he is a great poet and uh, rock musician, uh, even though I don't agree with him on <laughs> Israel, for, yeah. for instance, and stuff. But uh, uh, musical text, lyrics... Uh, I learned a lot about that and reading books and uh, life itself, really. Uh, I moved to London in 1988 when I was 27. Uh, and the, the following five years was the best in my life, except for the two years of 2002 and 2003 when I uh, traveled the world and played poker and I did uh, professional poker. And I have uh, uh, never written more poems than I did uh, during the first seven months of 2002. Enormous production. I wrote uh, a poem called uh, Leaving Las Vegas. Obviously, uh, the idea came from the film, but uh, my poem is quite different from the film, of course, but, but uh, the name. <laughs> came from uh, the film, the movie. Do you have any favorite authors or influences uh, that got you into writing, or have you just read all sorts of different stuff? Uh, I, I would say I've, le- I've read uh, all kinds of different stuff. Uh, I, uh, I've read, I have, uh, read a, lot of, a lot of horror and science fiction and fantasy, okay. But also more political stuff. But I prefer fiction. Uh, uh, I leave the um, non-fiction thing to my blog and stuff. Yeah, you have uh, a Substack, so you, you write a lot of. Uh, I just saw you publish something recently uh, on on Israel and Palestine. So you like to do that your articles and journal entries there. But your books that you write, uh, it's mostly fiction. Is that is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, but, but they are also uh, part documentary because they are very political, yeah. most of them. So I, 
I've written a lot about the 60s, for instance. Uh, I grew up in the 60s, so um, <laughs> I wrote a lot, a lot about, started writing, about, I started writing in 1973. I had 50 years anniversary last year. And now, this year, this year, I had 50 years anniversary. Um, so I started uh, writing about my series of books called the Janus Clan. Uh, after the Greek uh, goddess. Um, that's my life work, really. I have written a lot of other stuff too. Uh, there, there will only be uh, only be 11 books in the Janus Clan series. The rest is uh, other things. Uh, but I, I write about uh, special people, really, or special situations, and so on. Uh, and I love it. Uh, I wouldn't do anything else. Uh, even if I was uh, stinking rich, I would still write. Or if I was even poorer than I am today, I would keep writing. I, uh, rock musicians uh, die on the stage, right? Yeah. I would most certainly die in my chair. <laughs> what's, uh, what's maybe your most famous book or project that you're most proud of? Can you talk a little bit about um, maybe some of those works for maybe people that haven't read any of them yet? Uh, and maybe uh, you can um, convince them to pick up one or two of your, your books and check them out? The first book I wrote, ever wrote, was The, young, uh, was the, the, the Defenseless. Uh, it's about uh, growing up in Denver, Colorado, in the, uh, in the 60s. Uh, and early 70s uh, until they uh, leave, uh, are forced to leave or leave voluntarily as well. So uh, I started writing on that book. I had a, I had a dream when I was 12. The night I, I uh, was uh, I turned 12, I had a dream. I dreamed the entire story, uh, all the all 11 books, <laughs> uh, three nights in a row. And I knew then that uh, almost nothing ex except that was important, uh, doing that. And I, I knew I, I have only uh, one and a half book left to write. So uh, the, the entire series is almost done. But I, I have a lot of other projects too, but that's my life work, really. And... Uh, yeah, do you do you have some other projects in the works? Um, things oh, yes. that yeah, you have a lot of. You're always working. Are you are you a pretty prolific writer? Do you write every day? Do you write uh, weekly, monthly? I, do you I have usually routine? write every day. I do. Uh, I wrote the book "Dreams Belong to the Night" uh, when I didn't uh, when they wouldn't put, uh, publish uh, the Janus Clan series. Then I started branching out, so to speak. Uh, I'm uh, very pleased that I wrote Wimps Blunt to the Night. It's about uh, urban guerrilla uh, in Europe, uh, mostly based on the Balaminov uh, group. Really. And so so I, uh, that was a, an awakening too, right? Just by writing that book. And I usually wrote it when I, uh, I had it in the suitcase. That and a, uh, and a one um, typewriter uh, when 
I lived in London and traveled uh, uh, throughout Europe. We had a street theater and played uh, for free uh, in various cities, uh, mostly in London, but also in uh, Berlin and Amsterdam and Paris and several other cities. So I had that with me all the time in uh, in the Wuhan suitcase uh, and wrote on uh, Wuhan uh, typewriter. Uh, one, uh, I remember one um, letter couldn't be written, so I had to, <laughs> so I had to jinx it and or um, wing it. I had to wing it uh, to get that to work, but I, I managed, really. I want to apologize for some technical difficulties. Uh, some of the interview did not record. We had some problems with the audio, so I apologize. Uh, we're going to have to fast forward a little bit into the interview, so we'll pick it up a bit later on. So what do you think about the climate crisis that we're in, the tipping point, um, the future of humanity? How do you think we save the beautiful planet that we're on? Um, what do you think we can do? How can we get governments around the world to take this seriously? Um, do you have optimism? Do you have um, faith that we're going to avert this climate crisis that we're uh, looking like uh, we're facing here? Um, and and if you have hope, um, what do you think can be done about it? Well, I have uh, lots of thought about that. Uh, I don't. I I know that uh, the establishment will never do anything about it. Never. Uh, they will always just uh, dig themselves uh, into their uh, position and, uh, and power and, uh, and uh, financials, fi- finances. Uh, they will think money, uh, green bags all the time, and war, of course, and anything giving them uh, such satisfaction. They, they don't they will never do anything about climate change or anything uh, environmental, or they will, they will never do uh, true uh, uh, fairness, uh, create a true fairness society either. We have to do it from the ground up. Uh, and I, um, the way I, I see it, we need to, uh, we need to create, uh, pull the... Uh, the wilderness into the city, uh, not push the city uh, further into the wilderness, right? If we are greening the city, uh, I have a picture about future London, a possible future London that where everything is green. It's covered in green, right? Uh, um, my goal would be to for anybody to be, uh, well, both groups and individuals, to be autonomous, truly autonomous, and uh, get anything they want, uh, they truly need, at least, from uh, from the neighborhood, from the walking distance in the neighborhood, but also have trains taking them elsewhere so they can expand on their horizon. Basically, I, I've written uh, quite a lit, lot of blogs, uh, blog entries about it, too. Yeah, capitalism is is focused on the next quarter's profits. Um, There's rarely, if any, long-term planning, uh, usually nothing more than maybe a few months into the future. Uh, It's a profit-driven society, a society run by business interests. Um, We're not 
they're not going to do those in power, aren't going to do anything about the environment unless they're forced to, you know, from some kind of bottom-up revolution. There has to be popular pressures. There has to be people out there protesting, extinction rebellion, all that kind of stuff. You are uh, a member, right, of the Extinction uh, Rebellion. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, what does that mean to you? And, um, you know, what does that organization, what's it all about? Well, it is about uh, rebellion, but uh, I would, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, totally comfortable about them. They, they are not uh, fierce enough in my eyes, really. <laughs> I, I would go f- f- further, uh, a lot further than they will. Uh, in my, they ba- they basically believe in influencing uh, the governments, various governments and the, the establishment, begging them for favors. Really, while we have to take uh, power, has to be taken. It can never be given. All right, so. Um, so I'm working with a new uh, environmental eco-socialist uh, movement. Uh, it hasn't uh, really taken off yet, but I'm I'm working on it uh, with a few others uh, all over the world, really. Uh, so my project would be to greening the city. That would be uh, the first step, at least. But what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Well, you live in buildings covered in green, right? And that uh, do two things. It gives electricity and food, right? So you, uh, thereby thereby you will gain autonomy, true autonomy. Uh, You don't need to uh, go to the store to buy uh, food, groceries anymore. And you get uh, electricity for free. And then you got it made, really. Uh, you just need uh, health care and, uh, and transport uh, in addition to that, and you're good. We talked about like so many, uh, so much like tax dollars, so much emphasis uh, in our society, so much is directed towards the Pentagon, the bloated uh, military budget. Uh, endless wars. The United States has essentially been at war since 1776. All the articles that I read. About the conflict in Ukraine, it's, oh, it's going to last for a long time. There's no end in sight. We better, you know, strap in and we got to, you know, give Ukraine uh, $2 trillion every six months or whatever the numbers are. You know, we they have to win. They have to be victorious against Russia. Uh, of course, this could be a proxy war that ends all of us if it ever becomes uh, nuclear uh, because both the United States and Russia has the power to destroy the world. But our priorities are out of alignment. I mean, again, you know, we're in a capitalist society built on profits in the next quarter uh, and also society that's in constant war uh, all over the globe, fighting for resources, um, fighting for imperial uh, interests, land, um, power over people, all different sorts of stuff. Our priorities yeah. are out of whack. We have so much Priority, time, money, and priorities. energy. Yeah, so so our much priorities. of our time, money, resources are dedicated to blowing each other up. Imagine if we, um, you know, used half of those resources uh, to try to, you know, put them into saving the planet and saving the climate. You know, if we just stopped making war our number one export from the United States uh, and making it about climate and actually taking it seriously. Um, maybe we can avert this crisis in the next decade or so, or at least get on the right path. You know what I mean? 
there is uh, there is uh, there is resources uh, at least money to do anything we want right uh, so we should do uh, the right priorities instead for of the lunacy the total insanity the humanity uh, does today uh, and that's and uh, I lived six months in San Francisco uh, 20 years ago and uh, it has taken a turn for the worse now but we uh, we lived um, four people in, um, in a small uh, room very small room there were, uh, there were almost not uh, room for beds uh, even uh, and we still uh, almost didn't uh, couldn't pay for it we couldn't pay for it uh, beyond those six months right and that's a typical uh, it isn't made for people in cities in general isn't isn't made for people isn't made for life at all <laughs> the, the, of course they should be uh, it's um, yeah it, it, yes it's totally insane that they aren't really so any city london too is impossible almost impossible for poor people to live in because uh, of the high cost of living yeah yeah, or that they, uh, those uh, costs have uh, risen tremendously uh, the last two years. They were they were bad before, and they are even worse now. So uh, we we can save the world by creating a, play, a fair society, <laughs> uh, so to speak, right? So we should get on with it immediately. Yeah, instead of uh, war or destruction of the environment, um, you know, if we just dedicated our resources to, I mean, the United States leads the world, you know, and in the United States, about the only country in the world, um, you know, it leads the world at least in military and economic, um, you know, agenda. Uh, but, you know, what it doesn't do is it doesn't provide its citizens uh, an egalitarian society, we have wealth inequality here, unlike anywhere else in the world, uh, at least in terms of the industrialized societies. We have $2 trillion uh, in student debt, people trying to better themselves, um, winding up with possibly a lifetime of debt. Even our left so-called liberal administration, Biden, uh, restarted the payments after four years for the student debtors here. Um, and then, you know, in terms of um, housing, we have more vacant homes here than homeless people. We do not recognize um, in, in internationally food as a human right. I think if all these things were prioritized, you know, getting um, housing for the poor and the vulnerable, um, you know, food for needy people, especially children who are developing, if they are malnourished at uh, an early age, they will go through a lifetime of problems. Um, you know, education should be a, a, a certainly a priority in society and healthcare. Uh, the United States needs to catch up with the rest of the industrialized world and offer healthcare. The reason that healthcare is so expensive here is because these bloated insurance companies with executives and CEOs making millions of dollars a year, levels of bureaucracy, um, just insane. And, um, you know, as healthcare costs keep going up, so do, um, you know, 
the out-of-pocket expenses and premiums and, and co-pays. It's uh, just ridiculous. So if we can prioritize um, something different in our society, um, I think we'd be in a lot better place. Instead, we just, um, for whatever reason, prioritize greed, uh, exploitation, war, and it's just a constant and end- endless and destructive cycle. Uh, instead, we should be um, focused on, you know, saving the planet and enjoying nature instead of dominion, you know, over nature or conquering nature. You had talked about it in our, uh, in the email, you know, humanity's ancient connection to nature. Uh, we've always had it. For some reason, though, in the last 10,000 years, it seems like we're kind of losing our way. It's kind of like us versus nature instead of um, some sort of symbiosis. Um, yeah, I really, uh, I really don't want to leave this planet Earth. I think it's beautiful. And I certainly uh, don't think if the billionaires and their billionaire space race stuff, if they ever get to Mars and terraform it, they're certainly not taking all of us with them. Certainly not all 8 billion of us. So I think for uh, most of us, if not all of us, this is the only planet we'll ever know. So it's about time to prioritize it and try to save it. Absolutely. Uh, As I said, it's a really simple process too, right? Uh, If there is a will, there is a way. So we have to just uh, push uh, those greedy bastards away, off. I like this one. Pessimism of intellect, but optimism of will. We have to think that a better world is possible. We can't give up. We must keep pushing. Uh, I'm all for bottom-up revolution, popular revolution. Uh, We need to take the power back, the power that we uh, deserve and we should have, and we should rip it away from these psychopaths that are running us off the cliff, and the cliff would be climate crisis. Uh, What do you think about just how society is set up, though? With, I talked a little bit about like, the suburbanization. We're so spread out, especially in the United States. The superhighways uh, go on and on. No public transportation, an oil-based economy. A lot of pushback here with electric vehicles. Uh, no high-speed rail, no public transportation. Certainly not a functioning and working system. Certainly not a system that works for working-class people. Uh, we're so... Uh, we're, we're so um, Dependent on cars, we got cities that are spread out and aren't very walkable. Um, what do you think about transforming society? I think maybe I've seen some stuff where you know people are kind of um, you know uh, closed in a little bit, you know, in, in, in urban cities, but then outside the cities, you know, we have nature and farms and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we're just a little bit too spread out, too uh, suburbanized. Uh, what do you think about that? Have you have you thought about maybe how uh, you talked a little bit about like green cities, green housing? I think that's a great thing. But what about maybe concentrating human beings in a city, making it more walkable, making us less dependent on cars, and maybe absolutely on public transportation? Uh, I, I've written about that in my last book too. Uh, I studied uh, both Canada and the United States, right? Uh, how the, the, it has been urbanized, uh, so to speak, uh, the last 20 years, the last 50 years, for, uh, for that matter, uh, with huge uh, parking lots, right? And, uh, and each, uh, each road in, uh, in a typical street are very broad, very wide, uh, to make room for the car. Uh, even uh, even the typical neighborhood uh, for people are made for cars, right? And they need to have a huge uh, driveway 
to have uh, to fit the car there. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it baffles my mind, really. It, it's so uh, crazy. Uh, everything is made for the car and not for human beings. And uh, and you can uh, say that about a lot of stuff, right? The cities aren't made for human beings, um, certainly not. And uh, technology uh, in general is um, overwhelming human life, and uh, it is destroying the human life and life uh, on Earth in general. So we should certainly uh, turn around to say the least. It's, uh, it's so obvious to me that... Um, I, I, I spoke with a, with a friend earlier today. We agree that uh, the, the entire human society today, at least Western society, is completely nuts, bonkers, uh, insane. Uh, we live in... Uh, most people are, um, are, are insane. Clinical insane because they have they have uh, been taught to be that they they know uh, of no other life right they know of no alternative and when we speak about the alternative to capital capitalism for instance right they 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 look very strange at me what is that that guy talking about <laughs> really right uh, they they. They can't even imagine uh, an alternative. And there are, I I counted them once, there are uh, several hundred uh, alternatives to today's uh, um, profit-hungry, profit-driven society. And and that's one thing in, in terms of the doctrinal system or the education system, we're only taught a certain way, you know. We're, turned, we're told to cap, we're taught the capitalist system. We're taught to fit into the capitalist system. Imagine if our time, money, resources were directed to uh, a more environmentally friendly political economic system, uh, an alternative to capitalism. Absolutely. Imagine if the, our greatest minds, our smartest minds, uh, a generation or two of the youth of the world were taught to, hey, there's some major problems going on. Let's think of a better way to do things. Uh, I think we could definitely be on a much quicker expedited track but unfortunately uh, the education system is just a part of you know the establishment you know and it's uh geared to that capitalist ideology that profit-seeking ideology and that's one reason i agree with you i have conversations with people all the time who absolutely cannot envision a world without capitalism and it blows my mind but i'm actually i I think now thinking back on it though and and the way that i've studied and read over the last four or five years, probably me, maybe 10 years ago, I, I might have been in that same boat. So you'd have to definitely um, expand your mind and consume stuff outside the norm, outside the mainstream, or you'll be trapped, you know, in this, in this dogma and this, this indoctrination and this, the, the, the doctrines that the um, educational system and the establishment generally, um, you know, teaches people. Uh, but yeah, an alternative to capitalism and the way we do things, uh, there's got to be hundreds of them. Uh, but unfortunately, people have a one-track mind and can't think of them, you know, or, or can't even envision a world that doesn't involve this um, for-profit system. H.L. Mencken, American writer, he uh, called school a place for uh, educating robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, He's had some good quotes. Uh, I've quoted him on here before. He's had some good quotes. 
Yes. So. Yeah. You talked about the green cities. What else? How else do you think we could uh, change the world? I, I've heard like stuff about a resource-based economy. Um, you know that that uh, that interests me, and hopefully, an economy or a world. Like I'm an anarcho-syndicalist, so I want to get rid of centralized governments. I would love a, a world organized around democratically run workplaces, you know, workers owning and controlling the means of production. And hopefully that system is structured around local communities without arbitrary borders or powerful centralized governments and standing armies. Uh, I want an international system, not a global capitalist international system, but an international system of people working together, you know, hopefully for socialist ideals like justice and freedom, free association, um, equality. Um, I think a classless society is possible, and I certainly don't think the nation state is um, necessary. It's definitely seems to me uh, over the last hundreds or so, few hundred years or so, the nation state and constant wars over imperial borders and resources. Uh, I think we need to put an end to that kind of system. I think it's very destructive. Uh, I think the Europeans, for a few hundred years, their favorite sport was slaughtering each other. And after World War II and the atomic age uh, that we came into, they kind of realized, hey, if we do this World War III thing, that might be the end of all of us. Yeah, I picture a network of uh, autonomous uh, commutes, right? I call them commutes deliberately. Uh, each commune is uh, autonomous, uh, can uh, is self-sufficient, right? And uh, that's very important because they they don't have uh, no one outside that commune will have any power over you, right? Uh, and to redistribute re, uh, power is equally important as to uh, redistribute food and uh, resources, right? So you do everything uh, at once, everything uh, simultaneously. Uh, I picture a house, a common house or building, uh, one part uh, solar panels and uh, one part uh, plants, right? There are many um, uh, plants can grow in water, right? And they use far less water than uh, plants growing in uh, in soil, for instance. So you, so you don't have to water them. You just have to uh, make sure they get uh, water. Uh, and they can produce electricity too. And they isolate the building, uh, uh, warming it up uh, during uh, cold weather and everything. It, it does everything. I have... Uh, studied it for years and it works it just has to be done right uh, there has to be some initial um, investment from somewhere right uh, people can get to, together uh, band together and, um, and form a community and disconnect themselves from the grid and uh, for, uh, and stop going um, the grocery, buy groceries in stores, and uh, then they just need a doctor uh, or something, uh, health uh, care service of some kind. 
I uh, love the idea of small, autonomous, self-governing societies. I think that sounds like an awesome place, you know, communes and, um, you know, society. Like, I like anarcho-syndicalism or maybe even anarcho-communism, uh, you know, where we just kind of get back to our roots, you know, the way we used to do things. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I see myself as a green anarchist or uh, anarcho-primitivist anarcho, uh, or something. Yeah. Uh, the expression isn't really, the, the, uh, the um, term isn't really important in, uh, at all. I can, I can uh, work well with a socialist or a communist or, uh, or a pure anarchist if he isn't, uh, he, he can't be an anarcho-capitalist, but that's... Uh, that's a contradiction in terms, <laughs> a misnomer. But uh, aside from that, it can be uh, uh, most of the, uh, the stuff. Syndicalist, uh, anything. Uh, about a world of 8 billion people, there's a lot of us. I know a lot of people on the left say um, that, you know, population, uh, overpopulation is like a right-wing um, propaganda term, but... There's 8 billion of us, you know, if there's only 100,000 of us or 50 of us, you know, or whatever, uh, our impact, our footprint on the environment would be a lot smaller. Do you think that, you know, exponential population growth, 8 billion of us, uh, do you think that that creates a much broader problem? How would you, if you do think it's a problem, how would you address it? I have read some stuff that I think uh, some... Uh, researchers think that the world population will kind of level out around, I don't know, in the next 50 years, around like 11 billion or something like that. So I guess that's a good sign. I think the only thing that I've read on addressing this population issue that we have would be education. I certainly don't want to put any rules on anarchists. So I want as minimal rules in society as possible. But yeah, again, back to the question, what do you think about, you know, the human population, the 8 billion of us, the footprint that we have in our environment, do you think it's an issue? And if so, how would you address it? Uh, I do think it is, it's an issue. Um, 10,000 years ago, there were uh, 5 million uh, humans, human beings on Earth. And that was too much. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I know, we are, uh, as you said, we are 8 billion. I, I don't think the growth will stop either. It will just continue. Uh, it, uh, there is really no ending. Uh, the, the more pressure we push on, put on uh, nature, the more we destroy it, right? And the more people, the more pressure too. Like uh, we are like an excavator or something. Each one of us. We have a tremendous power to... Uh, to destroy. Uh, we are also a, an enormous creative force, and that is what we should use, our enormous creative force. Uh, we should, uh, in plain, plain and simple, we should um, implement um, the, Chinese, the failed uh, Chinese um, one-child uh, policy, really. Uh, we would... Uh, we would be reduced to one billion uh, in two generations, and uh, we will continue to go uh, further downwards from that, right? And we will we will have a drawing system. No one uh, 
should be able to uh, take advantage of it, right? The rich people shouldn't be uh, allowed either to uh, have more children, if you like. Um, so that's my take on it. We, we, uh, if we don't uh, reduce the population numbers, Earth will do it for us. Like they will do, uh, like Earth will do anything. We, we are, as I said, we are committing collective suicide uh, right now. Uh, and the only option we have is to uh, turn around and do something about that. I want to get to your, your travels and your life a little bit. We have about 10 minutes to go. I do want to say that I think corporations are the vehicles that capitalists use to rob, exploit, plunder. Uh, I want to uh, abolish or dissolve corporations or at least replace them with democratic institutions like co-ops, workers owning and controlling the means of production. And we must also say that the vast... Um, the vast usage of resources on the world, especially like fossil fuels, are uh, used by the richest countries in the world, and uh, even more so, the richest people in the world, the 1% and the fraction of the 1% who are taking private jets to climate crisis conferences to lecture us on how we need to... We should, you know, we should definitely uh, ban uh, private uh, jets. Definitely. Uh, that's an that's Definitely. an easy sell to me. Easy, easy sell, and yeah. yachts too. <clears throat> yachts, and how about billionaires? Why don't we just, uh, if you have a dollar, one billion and one dollar, anything over a billion is taxed. But I've also said, hey, you want to make the number lower? I'm fine. You want to make it anything over twenty million? You know, uh, we tax it. Um, but see, I I I, I don't want. All powerful central government. So, in the long run, I think we can use the government uh, and take it over. You know, uh, working class representation or working class, you know, overhaul of government. Um, but I think in the in the long run, uh, short term, I think we can use the government to you know get us on the right track. But the long run, yeah, I'm I like anarcho syndicalism or anarcho communism or whatever these small communes without these giant nation states. So, but yeah, I think. Well, you, I think in the, in the short term, uh, make laws, regulations that make the environment a safer place, like getting rid of private jets and yachts maybe, and maybe taxing billionaires out of existence. And then once we've done that, then hopefully over time we can have a classless society where the state eventually dissolves. Uh, but anyways, I want to get to uh, – we got to go another podcast. We'll have to do this again sometime. I'm having a great time here. I know it's really late there. It's also – Late for me, I guess we're in a little bit different patterns of the way, the way we live our lives. I still have a day job, so i got to get to work tomorrow. You kind of do your own thing, which is awesome. I'm, I'm very envious of you. I think you have a cool little life, uh, you know, a cool lifestyle. I, I really dig it. But you talked a little bit about the 1960s uh, and traveling and stuff. What was going on then? What was the public consciousness of the 1960s? Um, a lot of revolution, change, um, a lot of stuff was going on in the 60s. Uh, what was the public consciousness all about, and, and um, are there any similarities with that to, to today? Uh, it's far uh, uh, more uh, brutal today, right? Uh, the uh, 60s were a, hippie, uh, a happy time, really. Even uh, even mainstream <laughs> were, were different. Uh, they, were, they were still bad, but uh, it was... Uh, it was uh, something different than today. Uh, uh, the neoliberalism, right, it made everything worse. Uh, Reagan and Thatcher and uh, and bunch. Uh, 
So, uh, but it's for a very interesting time. But we should never forget that Nixon was re-elected during uh, in 19 uh, was elected in 68 and re-elected in 72 in the United States, right? In spite of uh, hippies were never uh, numerous, a very uh, large group uh, compared to the rest of uh, the population. So they didn't really have political power, except that they ended the uh, Vietnam War. But uh, Daniel Ellsberg, I've written a, little about, a bit about him too. He said that it was too focused on, the Vietnam, on ending the Vietnam War. So they didn't uh, address all the other uh, issues. They should have. He's the one, uh, he came out with the Pentagon Papers, right? He's an investigative journalist. Yes. He came out with all kinds of stuff. I think he took down Nixon too. He did. Uh, he, uh, he published, uh, but all five uh, presidents before Nixon had also lied, including Kennedy, had lied uh, to the American people about the war effort, um, the uh, empire, if you like. So uh, he wasn't, uh, the others were bad too, even Eisenhower. Uh, so, um, but he exposed all that. So we got less than, uh, less than five minutes here. Uh, I want to finish up with, I don't know, maybe some travel stories or some of the favorite places that you've yes. visited. Uh, that's, that's, that's a good uh, uh, ending. Uh, one of my books, The Valley of Kings, they are about my travels through the Sahara Desert and the old Silk Road, the ancient Silk Road, through Asia to uh, China and uh, Soviet Union and uh, Iran. I, I traveled that 20 years ago. I traveled from Dakar, crossed the, the Sahara Desert in uh, on Camelback. <laughs> wow. And I traveled down the Nile uh, to the Mediterranean, uh, over to Lebanon and Beirut, and from Beirut to Damascus. Damascus was fantastic. It was far uh, long before the bombing. Uh, destroyed. Uh, what, ta- what time period are we talking about? When, when is this? Uh, t- 20 years ago. I did, uh, it, it, it said uh, it, was, uh, the, it was the basis for the entire book of uh, the Valley of Kings. It's a drama, uh, dram- dramatized story, right? It isn't about me. It is, it is fiction, but uh, I have taken all that travel and put in the book. Uh, Sahara Desert was absolutely amazing. Everyone should uh, experience uh, uh, the desert. And I experienced many deserts. The Silk Road is uh, full of them. Silk Road, the ancient the Silk Road. I traveled through uh, Syria, uh, Iraq, Iran, and uh, what is now the five uh, Autonomous uh, Central Asian Republic, uh, form a uh, part of uh, former Soviet Union, and I ended up in uh, Kashgar in Xinjiang in China, which was uh, fantastic too. Uh, and all my travels was uh, fantastic, really. When I when I first arrived in Las Vegas, it was great, and Los Angeles was. Uh, <laughs> It was a great experience, at least. There were, there were uh, 
Main Street till Las Vegas. Half, nej, in Los Angeles. Half of it uh, was packed with uh, homeless people. They just uh, were, it was um, a picture of what would uh, happen later. Uh, so it happened the last uh, 20 years or so, right? Uh, it has turned, taken a turn for the worse, far worse, the last 20 years. But uh, when I was there, uh, half of Main Street were packed with uh, homeless people. They just uh, lie there on the, on the, on the sidewalk. They hadn't, didn't have anywhere else to go. So I write a book, I wrote a book about that too, uh, and so on, right? I, my travels have really enriched my books. Uh, they wouldn't have been anything remotely like they are if I hadn't uh, traveled. Do you so, travel uh, alone, or do you have a companion that comes with you? Uh, it varied. Uh, sometimes I traveled alone, and sometimes I had people uh, with me. The Sahara Desert and, um, and the Silk Road, people with me. But I traveled through South America and uh, Central America on my own, completely on my own. So um, sometimes I had uh, companions, sometimes I didn't. Uh, I lived in... I lived in a squatted house in London, by the way, with 15 others. We had a great time together. <laughs> you can read about that too on my uh, Substack uh, blog. Uh, what's, what's the favorite place that you've been to? we got two minutes. What's the favorite place maybe that you've been to or maybe somewhere you want to go back? And is there somewhere you haven't visited that is on your list to go? Australia, I haven't been there. Not New Zealand either, uh, and there are a few others. It, it's easy for me, to, easier to say uh, places I haven't been than people uh, places I have been, <laughs> because the, the, I have been so many places. It was great uh, coming to Las Vegas the first time, and my trip, uh, my car ride uh, in through southwestern United States was great, but uh, all my travels were great. I, I spent some time in Ireland too uh, uh, with the friends, and uh, that was great. Uh, that was quiet, really. We didn't really. It wasn't a, gr- a big uh, experience. It was just uh, great in a quiet way. So uh, travel. Uh, the Arabs have a proverb: travel is uh, victory. Travel uh, is a victory in itself, and I've always subscribed to that long before I started uh, traveling in earnest. Well, that's, that's going to wrap it up here. we got less than 30 seconds to go. Uh, why don't we stay in touch? I'd love to get uh, together again, do another podcast, talk more about your travels and your worldviews. Um, Amos Kepler, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Uh, Have a great night. You too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. I also want to thank my special guest, Amos Kepler, for a great discussion tonight on politics, art, and philosophy. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out.